Welcome to Day of Destiny with Dr. Michelle Corral, author, prophetic teacher, and pastor of Breath of the Spirit Prophetic Word Center. Dr. Corral can be seen weekly, nationwide, and around the world on her weekly telecasts that air on God TV, Impact, and Word Network. Now, let's join Dr. Corral by experiencing Day of Destiny, designed with your highest destiny in mind. Now, here is Dr. Corral. We are opening our Bibles today, beloved saints, to the book of Acts. Today we are speaking to you about the attributes of revival. I want to speak to you just for a moment about what a Holy Ghost agonizer actually is, because a Holy Ghost agonizer is one that's going to bear the burden of heaven. Hallelujah. To bear the burden of heaven, heaven bearers, burden bearers. The Bible tells us that first of all, we need to know that um, agony is a, it is the language of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Lord doesn't always speak to us in English. There are times the Lord, he wants us to learn the language of the supernatural. Say this with me, teach me to learn the language of the supernatural. See, the language of the supernatural is not always in the vernacular. You're not always going to hear God speak to you in speech. Do you all understand what I'm speaking about? All right, there are times that God moves within you. You have to know the quickenings within you. And what those divine quickenings of the Holy Ghost is in you, what he's saying and what he means. One of the things we need to understand is that when the anointing of the agonizer comes, I want you to understand that it is prophetic language. And it means that you're going to carry something. Because the word, beloved saints, to bear a burden is the word ma'asar, which actually means to carry something. Go with me, if you will, to Zechariah chapter 12, verse 1, and you will see that many of the prophets, before they gave their prophetic message, the introduction to that message was the word, the burden of the Lord from Zechariah, or the burden of the word of the Lord from Malachi. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. So that means when God speaks to you, oftentimes it will become a burden. And that burden causes the agony of your soul. Notice how it starts out. The burden of the word of the Lord God of Israel, which stretcheth out the heavens and lays the foundation of the earth. Hallelujah. And um, layeth and formeth the spirit of man within him. Are you hearing this, saints? Malachi 1.1, just so we understand what it means when the Lord begins to lay the heavenly burden upon you, that it's a prophetic, it is a prophetic experience. It is the Holy Ghost speaking to you, but yet he may not be speaking in words. He's speaking to you through quickenings, through divine movement, through divine quickenings. He's using your emotions to move you. He's sanctifying your emotions to feel the emotions of God. Are you with me, saints? Notice what it says. The burden of the word of the Lord God, the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Notice it's a burden. Somebody ought to say the burden of the word of the Lord. That means a 
burden comes on you, that means you're going to carry something. Say this with me. I'm willing to carry the agony. I'm willing to carry the word. Even if it seems heavy, somebody ought to say, hallelujah, the burden of the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want you to go with me to Nehemiah chapter 1. And you see, it's oftentimes, it's a Nehemiah-like experience where the king is going to hand you a cup. That's what's happening. You see, the last verse in Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah says, for I was the king's cupbearer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Notice the last line. You just passed, we just passed it. Yes. It says, I pray, I pray thee thy servant this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. Are you willing to bear the cup of the king? That's what God is asking today. Hallelujah. For his divine agonizers. So let us see how this actually happens. Because today I'm going to be speaking to you about the attributes of revival. And one of the ways that we find the attributes of revival saints is laid out for us in the book of Acts. Go with me to Acts chapter 1. And I want you to see in Acts chapter 1, a systematic theology. That means the pneumatology that's going to be shown to us in Acts chapter 1 is going to be very systematic. That means you're going to see line upon line, precept upon precept. You're going to see step number 1. And then the following scriptures will show you step number 2. And the following scriptures will show you step number 3. Are you ready? Are you willing? All right, we need to understand the first attribute of revival is that the attribute of absence. Absence produces agony. Say this with me, absence Absence. produces agony. That without the sense of absence, there can be no agony. I want to share with you what Holy Ghost absence feels like. Are you with me if you are? say amen. Amen. Say it again. Holy Spirit, Spirit, show me me. how the sense of absence absence produces agony. You see, only a God chaser is going to understand this language. Only someone who can't live without the presence of God is going to understand what I'm talking about. Only someone who has to feel his presence in the morning and has to be under the anointing in the afternoon. Someone who has to feel his voice, hear his voice and feel his spirit. You see, and when you don't feel his spirit and when you don't see sense his presence. It produces a sense of agony. Are you with me, saints? Do you understand that absence produces agony? Somebody ought to say yes. Let's see how this actually plays out in the text. Our time is limited, so I want you to go to verse 9 immediately. I want you to understand before we read verse 9 what is happening here. These things are not written so we know they happen. 
I want you to understand that the 120 have gone through. They have gone through watching Jesus be crucified on Good Friday. They had no idea he was going to be raised from the dead. When they took him down from the cross and Joseph of Arimathea took him down and Nicodemus came with the myrrh and the women disciples of Jesus followed from behind. When they came, they had spices and they did not know he was going to rise. Their hearts were broken. Can you imagine watching the crucifixion and saying, how could this have happened? Our master is taken from us. A sense of longing, a sense of absence. That sense of absence is illustrated and magnified at the garden tomb. When Mary Magdalene supposed Jesus to be the gardener, and she said, Sir, if you have borne him hence, tell me where he is, and I will go and get him myself. Do you understand that sense of longing and that sense of absence? When Jesus was risen from the dead, they got him back. For 40 days and 40 nights, He's alive. He's not dead. He's back to life. He's eating with us. He showed us his hands and his feet. He's not gone. He's here. And then, on the day that he goes back to heaven, a sense of absence again. Only this time, it's an absence and a silence like they've never experienced before. Why? Because when Jesus was with them, the Holy Ghost was with them. Jesus said he has been with you, but he shall be in you. And so therefore, between the days of the Ascension and Pentecost... It's silence. You see, I want you to understand. You got to understand this, or you're not. You're not going to understand agony. You see, the Holy Spirit's the only one who can show us Jesus. The Holy Spirit's the only one who can reveal Jesus to us. John said, the Bible says, John chapter sixteen, verse thirteen. How be it, He, when the Spirit of Truth is come, He's going to guide you into all truth. He's not going to speak of himself, but whatsoever things he shall hear, that shall he speak. And the Bible says in verse 14 of John chapter 16, he shall glorify me. He will take of mine and he will show it unto you. That means the Holy Ghost is the only one who can reveal Jesus. That means when you hear the voice of Jesus, it's the Holy Ghost giving you the revelation of Jesus' voice. When you are taught by Jesus, anything that has to do with Jesus, the Holy Ghost is the one revealing it. You see, his mission is to show us Jesus is not dead. And so the way we know Jesus is not dead is that Jesus is still doing what he did when he walked on 
this earth for the three years of ministry. Do you understand? The resurrection is not just only about Jesus rising. It is to show us that he's not dead and he's still healing. He's still delivering. He's still giving breakthroughs. He's still healing children. He's still raising from the dead. He's still doing the works that he did when he walked on this earth. But the only one who can show us that is the Holy Ghost. We are witnesses of these things, and so also is the Holy Ghost. Are you hearing this? Acts chapter 5, verse 32. Say this with me. We are witnesses of these things, and so also is the Holy Ghost. You see, the Holy Ghost was left in charge because he's the only one who can show us Jesus. No human being can show us Jesus. Look at Acts chapter 1, looking at verses 1 and 2. When Luke, who is the author of Acts, began to write his thesis on the Acts of the Apostles, on the Maaseh Shalakim in Hebrew. Maaseh, acts of the Shalakim, the sent ones. I said the acts of the sent ones. Hello, somebody, you didn't hear me. I said the acts of the sent ones. The Maaseh Shalakim, say it. Maaseh Shalakim. The acts of the sent ones. All right? Now, the sent ones are called to do the works. Mm -hmm. But if they did those works on their own, they couldn't show the resurrected Christ. Do you have power on your own to show the resurrected Christ? You can tell about the resurrected Christ, but you cannot demonstrate the resurrected Christ. There is only one that can demonstrate the resurrected Christ, and that is the Holy Ghost. Are you hearing this? Notice the former treaties that I have made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus of Nazareth began to do and to teach. Now watch verse 2. It's so significant. All that Jesus began to do and to teach. Until the day he was taken up, after that, he threw the Holy Ghost. Do you see that? So that means that everything Jesus began to do and teach, he did. But after the day he ascended into heaven, the only one who's going to show us what Jesus began to do and teach is the Holy Ghost. So that means until the Holy Ghost came, there's absence. Because there's no voice of God in those days when they're in the upper room. I hope somebody's hearing this until he comes. When they're in the upper room, they are not feeling the presence of Jesus. No, they don't feel his hand upon them. No, they don't have the power that he's quickening them with. No, they don't sense his presence in the room. No, they don't sense the presence that they know that he carried. There was no sense of anything until the day of Pentecost had 
fully come. Then they feel Jesus again. Do you understand? The world is going to see Jesus again. And he's going to be shown that he is alive until he comes back. Are you hearing it? But for those 10 days, they stood there. Notice. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. They stood gazing. The Bible says, when they behold these things, behold, while they beheld, behold, he was taken up in a cloud, received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, behold, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. And they said, you men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven, the same Jesus, which is taken up from you? He's taken from you. Which is taken up from you shall in like manner as you have seen him go, shall come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. That's exactly where he departed. In case somebody tells you he didn't depart back into heaven, they're unscriptural because that's exactly where he went. So they returned and went to Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us in verse 14, watch this. Say this with me. Absence is going to produce agony. Are you hearing? Are you hearing? These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. That's as far as I'm going to go. I'm going to explain those words in the Greek language because they're very articulate and chosen to express an experience of how they brought the Holy Spirit in through nine days, ten days, however long it was, the 40th day till the 50th day. The 50th day, they didn't have to do it, so it's technically nine days. So how they're bringing the revival in, they're praying it in. Mm -hmm. I said they're praying in the day of Pentecost. Is that a revival or not? They're praying in the revival. And how was that established? They continued, proskaterio, which means persevering. In one accord, this is where we mess it up. One accord does not mean this being in agreement, even though being in agreement is necessary, but that is not the exact word. I'm just translating for you um, the actual translation. The actual translation of one accord is homo thimodun. Say it with me, homo thimodun. Okay, homothimodun is, um, means same thimodun fire. Or this is where we get the English word thermal. Okay, the English word thermal means heat or it means turning up heat or whatever the case may be. Or making somebody nice and, nice and warm. You get your thermals on. You don't? All right. In one accord, one accord means homothimodun, same fire, same, same zeal, same fire. Now watch this. 
in prayer, and here's the key word, supplication. I want to tell you what supplication means in the Greek. This is the word desis. Say it with me, desis. And desis is an action of prayer. It's actually a posture of prayer that is born from a sense of neediness. Hmm, maybe you didn't hear me. It's to make a petition from something you're lacking. I said to make a petition from something you're lacking. So if there is a sense of absence, it means that you're lacking the presence of God. You're lacking his love. You're lacking, you're longing, you're praying, you're supplicating, you're needing the presence of Jesus to come to the upper realm. Are you hearing this? All right, and the Bible tells us this is how they prayed in the revival. The second attribute of revival is that we see that desperate need must precede revival. If we don't have any need and we are not recognizing our need, if we do not recognize that perhaps we're institutionalizing the Holy Spirit, if we do not recognize that right now what's happening here, what was happening in the book of Acts is not happening here, that we don't have enough of God's power and and need within us to pray in the impossible and the works of the Spirit. We have to be desperate for God. God wants agonizers. God wants Holy Ghost agonizers that will say, I want the power. I want the anointing. I want your glory. I want you to move in this house. I want miracles. We want you, Jesus. A church that's already full and has need of nothing is not going to receive a revival. A church that's satisfied with just coming in and out is not going to receive a revival. You cannot put a a price, uh, you cannot put a time slot and just say, well, I got to come right here and I got to leave there. You see, that is not the way the Holy Ghost works. You have to be willing to allow yourself to be to become under the power of the Holy Ghost and that his convicting power can begin to convict us. I hope somebody's understanding. convicting power of the Holy Ghost in our personal lives. Every one of us, we love Jesus with all our heart. We're walking lives that you may say, what do I have to be convicted about? It's because the Holy Ghost wants to deal with us. He wants levels of surrender in our lives that we have not yet surrendered, that we've held back to ourselves. That's the convicting power of the Holy Ghost. He wants us to come under that power. He wants us to come under that holy conviction so he can deal with us. Are you hearing me? Say it with me. Deal with me, Lord. Deal with my heart. Deal with me about what 
what you want me to do. Deal with me about my future. Deal with me about my decisions. Deal with me about my relationships. Deal with me about my career. Deal with me, Lord. Deal with me, hallelujah, when I get up. Deal with me when I go to bed. Deal with my heart. Deal with my attitude. Deal with my mindset. Deal with my vision. Deal with my purpose. Deal with me, Holy Spirit. Deal with my heart. Break my heart. Let me know your heart. Let there be the beginnings of agony coming down upon me. Can I get a witness somewhere? Somebody ought to say amen. We got to come into the place that we're broken before God. We can't come in with a haughty spirit. A haughty spirit will never bring revival. We've got to be in the place that we're willing for the Holy Ghost to break us, to convict us, to move upon us, to tell us, hallelujah, breaking our heart so that we can receive the burden of heaven. Are you with me, saints? Somebody ought to say, deal with me, Lord. Deal with me tonight. Deal with my vision. Deal with my attitude. Deal with every relationship in my life. Deal with the way, hallelujah, that I'm serving you. Show me what you want me to do. Deal with my future. Deal with my past. Deal with me, God. Deal with me through the power of your Holy Ghost. conviction. Say it. Holy Ghost conviction. Conviction is not just for the sinner. Conviction is any kind of sin. Conviction is also for the times we missed the mark. We didn't know we were grieving the Lord, but he wants to deal with us. We could have an attitude right now in our life, and it may not be the attitude God wants us to have. We have to be willing to let it go. We have to be willing to let the Lord deal with us. You see, we want these things done overnight. We want God to deal with us in a service, touch us, Lord, and go home, and then we're back on our own. See, the move of God takes days, weeks. He may be dealing with you for months on a thing. Hallelujah. Are you hearing me? Say this with me, Holy Ghost. Take possession of your property. Take full possession of your property. Any parts of my life that I've held back or God that I'm not thinking like Jesus. Any area of my life that you want to deal with me about. Something you told me 10 years ago that I never paid attention to. That is critical for my destiny. Deal with me God. Deal with me God. 
Are you hearing this? Desperate need must precede revival. Hallelujah. So we see absence produces agony. Say it with me. Absence produces agony. Now see, if we're all full and we have need of nothing, we're not going to have any sense of absence at all. We're just going about our merry little way and everything's great. We go to church, do our church thing, come home, praise God, speak in tongues, shout hallelujah, and everything's wonderful. We don't, we don't need anything else. We're perfectly fine the way we are. But then there are some of us who say, I can't live without you. I need you to breathe. I need you to breathe in this earth. If you don't breathe through me, I'm not going to make it. Hello, somebody. I have to know your presence. I have to know your revelation. I have to dwell in that place of fellowship. I don't ever want you to leave me or forsake me. It's the only safe place. Somebody ought to say in the arms of Jesus, it's the only safe place. Say it with me, in the presence of the Lord. It's a safe place. Hallelujah. It's a glorious place. Hallelujah. The third attribute of revival is that God uses what is deplorable for destiny. I said deplorable. We have to be willing to allow God to show us it's what's deplorable in us that he really wants. He's not looking for the wise and for the spiritually strong. Are you with me? For those who have it all together. Say it with me. He's not looking for those who have it all together. Go with me. Go with me right now to 1 Corinthians. And we're going to end with this, but I got, I'm going to speak it. I'm going to speak it. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians, beloved saints. Uh, chapter 1, verse 26. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 26. Praise you, Jesus. We give you praise and we give you glory. Watch this. For you see your calling, brethren, how not many wise, I knew that was going to happen, how not many wise after the flesh, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise and chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things that are mighty. The base things of this world and the things that are despised has God chosen. That, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. So what are the qualifications? What are, I want to call them the unqualifications. What are the unqualifications for exaltation into destiny. Number one, not many wise. So if you're not wise, 
you're on a list that the Holy Ghost is looking for. Okay. Number two, not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty. If you can't really say that you've done anything mighty, if you don't consider yourself mighty, in him you're mighty, but you're not mighty. You're somebody who just says, I, I, I'm just so plain, I don't really have. Not noble, our call. God has chosen the foolish things to confound the wise and the weak things. If you're weak, you're on his list. He's looking for you. See, he's, he's very picky with his list. Okay, the Holy Ghost is very picky. He's not looking for somebody that's totally wise. He's not looking for somebody that's completely just thinks they're the end of the earth. He's looking for somebody extremely humble. He's looking for somebody that outwardly you would have never selected because the ones that have that we would have never selected are the ones that are elected by God. And who is that? You know, beloved saints, if we look, we're coming into the time now of Azusa. This is the month of Azusa. Next week really is the actual anniversary, 115th year. We celebrated it last week, but it's the 115th year of Azusa. And the apostle of Azusa shows us how God chooses someone that you would never expect to be chosen. Smallpox across his face completely deformed his face so he had to wear a beard blind in one eye son of Simon Simon son of slaves daddy died when he was young in the Louisiana swamps because of the bacteria in those waters could barely have enough money to live but he wanted God more than anything else and so he went across America worked in the Midwest as a waiter and joined the Evening Light Saints which was a holiness movement very involved in the holiness movement the holiness movement preceded the Pentecostal movement. He wanted God so much that he heard about a man named Charles Fox Parham. And he had a Bible school in Kansas City. And oh, how he wanted to go there and learn about this new experience called baptism in the Holy Ghost. But he found out Charles Fox Parham was going to give a seminar in Houston. And he went to Houston. The only problem was that the Jim Crow laws were very strong in place. We got to be real here. Can't cover it up. We can't candy coat it. We can't pretend it didn't happen because it deplorably happened. He was not allowed in, locked out. 
Some of you have been locked out. You didn't know you were locked out. Maybe you tried to get into something and they locked you out. Maybe the church locked you out, not physically. People you love locked you out. Your vision was locked out. Your purpose was locked out. Being locked out is very important for how the Lord's going to use you. See, he loved God so much and wanted the Holy Ghost so much that he sat in a chair outside that seminar. How Christians could allow that is far beyond me. It's despicable. It makes me question the origins. So in my eyes, the real founder of not just global Pentecostalism, because William Joseph Seymour is responsible for the global Pentecostalism, but also the United States, because to do that to another brother is completely unacceptable. Not even a thought. It's just, it's, it's brutal. It's ridiculous. But I'm glad that the Lord chose that man to show the world this is what God thinks about it. All right, this is what God thinks about your Jim Crow laws. This is what God thinks about locking out the man that's going to be used to change the world and to bring the century of the Holy Spirit, the 20th century, which was the century of the Holy Spirit. Are you hearing this? Do you realize that when it was time to get the baptism, they all prayed at the altar, the prayer altar? But William Joseph Seymour was not allowed to pray at the prayer altar. He was not allowed to pray at the prayer bench. He was told, no, you can't do that. And just about that time, somebody said, we got a church, we need a pastor, and it's in L.A., and the pastor can't go back. She wants somebody in the holiness movement. So can you go and be the pastor? He was so excited about that. He went up to Charles Fox Parm and said, I'm going to go be a pastor. And Charles Fox Parm tried to talk him out of it. He said, oh, heaven's calling me to Los Angeles. I know it. Sometimes you're called to something that you think you're going to do, but God's just getting you there because he's got another plan for you. Okay. So don't think when you get a plan and it didn't work out the way you thought. And why did you bring me here? Oh, not William Joseph Seymour. Oh, no. You see, when he got there, he, he indeed went to preach. And he preached a wonderful sermon in the morning. The first Sunday he was there. Used his last $5 to get there. And he preached a wonderful sermon in the evening. Oh, my gosh. When he went the next time to go into church, padlock on the door. Locked out again. I said locked out. 
but not locked up. Hello, somebody, are you hearing me? I said he's locked out. God needed somebody that was locked out, that was loved him so much, that said, I'm still going to press my way. I'm not giving up. You know what? Those folks in the church, there was a couple, a couple of families in that church that said, you know what? We love Brother Seymour. One said, you come and stay with us, Brother Seymour. We're so sorry this happened. So he stayed, and they prayed, and they prayed for days. And then the Asbury's, who were also part of that church, said, you know what? We've been having prayer meetings in our homes. Brother Seymour, would you come over here? We live on Bonnie Bray Street. It's just a few of us. But would you come over here and just lead us in prayer as we're just seeking the baptism in the Spirit? That's what we really want. So you see, uh, though... He went for one reason. And that reason didn't work out at all. It fell apart. God had another plan. He didn't give up. Somebody ought to say he didn't give up. All right. During these days ahead, we are going to be speaking about the Azusa revival. And tonight, I have a newsletter from the original Azusa newsletter, the September 1906 newsletter for you as a gift. Somebody ought to give God the praise and the glory. Thank you for joining us today on Day of Destiny. We invite you to our website at mydayofdestiny.com where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of Dr. Corral's latest book, Secrets of the Anointing. Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, and many other services to the suffering church and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the donate button or text to give. Text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. That's HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. You are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast.